and welcome to The Family Planning Files, a podcast developed by the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning. I'm your host, Katherine Atchison. In today's podcast, part of our July 2022 Clinician Cafe on Infertility and Achieving Healthy Pregnancy, we'll be discussing basic infertility services in Title X settings. Our guest today is Jackie Witt, JD, MSN, WHNPBC, FAANP. Jackie is the director of the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning and has over 35 years of clinical and instructional experience in sexual and reproductive health care, both in and out of Title X settings. Welcome to the podcast, Jackie. We're so excited to have you on today. Thank you, Catherine. I'm very happy to be here. So just to start for our listeners, what are some of the most common conditions that a Title X provider may see that could require basic infertility services? First, people may have questions about fertility that don't necessarily warrant complete evaluation. For instance, for females under age 35, we may just want to give them advice about fertility awareness and timing intercourse appropriately. We would, of course, want to give them pre-pregnancy information. If they've not reached the threshold for an infertility evaluation, that is 12 months of regular unprotected vaginal intercourse. On the other hand, we may want to accelerate evaluation for some people. For females, that would be someone 35 years of age or older, anyone with infertility for more than three years, someone with a major medical condition, someone with oligo or amenorrhea, that is absence of menstrual periods, or with a history of endometriosis, also a known or suspected uterine or tubal abnormality or disease. For males, we would want to consider specialty referral for someone with previously diagnosed conditions associated with subfertility or infertility. That would be diabetes, testosterone use, a varicocele, or cryptorchidism, and that would be with or without surgery. One of the most common causes of infertility is anovulation. People would notice irregular or absent menstrual periods. There are different causes for irregular menses, but one of the most common is polycystic ovary syndrome, or PCOS. People with PCOS generally have a constellation of signs and symptoms, including irregular menstrual periods or no periods at all, excessive hair growth, called hirsutism, usually on the face, chest, back, and buttocks, thinning hair on the head, and oily skin and acne, and of course, difficulty getting pregnant because of the anovulation. Painful menstrual periods may be a reason for presentation, and pain with intercourse or defecation. These may all be presenting symptoms that might be indicative of endometriosis, which can also be a cause for infertility. Let's get into the clinic and say a Title X provider is seeing a female patient who has reported a year of regular unprotected intercourse without achieving pregnancy. What are the first steps for this clinician to take in evaluating this patient? Well, for patient history, it's important that clinicians, number one, have a complete picture of the patient's health, and number two, use the medical history to direct the physical exam and also to facilitate achieving healthy pregnancy. 
A complete medical history is always the beginning point, of course. In the general history, we want to know about any chronic illnesses and current medications or other treatments, any history of hospitalizations, serious illnesses, injuries, or surgeries. We also do a complete review of systems. A psychosocial history, including history of depression or other behavioral health diagnoses, occupation, and possible environmental exposures, as well as current or past use of nicotine, alcohol, marijuana, and other substances. And that would include the misuse of prescription medications. A family history would be done with emphasis on birth defects, developmental delay, or reproductive problems. Then we would get a detailed obstetric and gynecologic history. We want to confirm the fertility history, how long they have been trying or having unprotected vaginal intercourse, and whether they've had any tests for fertility elsewhere. Pregnancy history, including complications and a very thorough menstrual history, including the age at first period, cycle links, characteristics such as premenstrual symptoms and onset and severity of menstrual cramps or dysmenorrhea. We would want to know about the patient's fertility awareness. Have they used ovulation kits in the past? Do they use a period or fertility tracker mobile app? Sexual history, including frequency of vaginal intercourse, pain with intercourse, use of any products like sexual lubricants, information about their partners, history of any sexually transmitted infections, especially if they were ever diagnosed with pelvic inflammatory disease or PID. After taking a thorough medical history and discussing the desire for pregnancy, what should clinicians include in their physical exam of this patient? There may be special things that we do, Catherine, based on the medical history that we do. But in general, a physical exam would include the basics like height, weight, heart rate, blood pressure, and then a good skin and hair assessment with a focus on androgen excess. Mentioned that earlier, things like oily skin, acne, male pattern hair growth. We would also want to note the presence of acanthosis nigricans, a dark, thick, velvety, skin line in body folds and body creases, usually in the armpits, under the breasts, in the groin, and the back of the neck. Acanthosis nigricans may be a sign of insulin resistance caused by type 2 diabetes, polycystic ovary syndrome, and other metabolic diseases. Other musts would be a thyroid exam for enlargement, nodules, or pain, a breast exam, with questions about current or past milky discharge from the breasts. And then, of course, an abdominal exam and a pelvic exam, including palpation of the cul-de-sac area for nodules or pain. This could be an indication of endometriosis. So our clinician has now taken the health history, done a thorough physical exam. What sort of possible testing for female factor infertility could be included under those Title X services offered at the clinician site. So Catherine, just a reminder here that Title X is not health insurance, so there's no formal guidance about what service sites might cover. In general, projects are not likely to offer, under their Title X program anyway, any diagnostic testing for infertility. If the Title X program has a contract with a laboratory in which they can get some of the recommended first-line testing, though, it may still be advantageous to the patient to have the testing done at the Title X site. 
because public health lab pricing may be more cost effective and having the test results prior to a referral to a specialist may speed the diagnostic process for the patient. All of that being said, we can certainly do complete STI testing, gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV, and syphilis. In addition, if a site is able to do baseline testing, this would include a serum thyroid-stimulating hormone or TSH level for those with signs of thyroid disease or irregular menses. And to confirm ovulation, a serum progesterone level would be drawn during the mid-luteal phase of the patient's cycle. That is about seven days before the expected menstrual period. And of course, while we know the majority of patients seen in Title X are female, we know that men are seen every day in Title X settings. What are some of those male factor infertility services and things that clinicians could do in a Title X setting for men who come in explaining that they are experiencing what they think is infertility? I'm glad you asked about that, Catherine. You're right. The majority of the patients we see are female, but certainly we do provide services to males. They should have a thorough medical history and physical exam with emphasis on sexual history and problems that we know are associated with subfertility and infertility in men, such as cryptorchidism or undescended testicles at the time of birth. And we would want to know about that, whether or not they required surgery or not. Varicocele, with or without surgery, and rarely hypospadias. Some men will present with scrotal discomfort, but most of the time varicoceles are asymptomatic and actually usually diagnosed during evaluation of male factor infertility. Adolescent males are sometimes diagnosed with varicoceles, so a man might come in knowing that he was diagnosed earlier with a varicocele. Hypospadias, or misplacement of the urethra, is diagnosed in newborns and usually requires surgery, so that it would be rare that we would see a man with hypospadias in a Title X clinic. Males should receive complete STI testing, just like females, and a semen analysis. Semen analysis is a quantitative and qualitative evaluation of the semen and the sperm cells. So our clinician has seen her patient run possible tests and is now ready to move to the treatment and counseling. What kind of treatments and counseling can a Title X provider offer her patient, let's say a female patient in this case, of course, dependent on diagnoses? Yes. Well, of course, if there is an abnormal history or physical exam or laboratory finding, the patient would be treated at that time. If the condition is beyond the scope of practice for the clinician or beyond the scope of services for the site, they would be referred to an appropriate provider for further evaluation and treatment. It's important, I think, to mention here that referrals and what might trigger a referral should be explained early on in the client evaluation. The local referral thresholds for an individual practice site should be based on clinician expertise as well as resources at the site. Having an explicit relationship with one or more community practices to whom you will refer infertility clients is necessary for high-quality, equitable, and accessible care. In general, pre-pregnancy counseling should include strategies for increasing the likelihood of conceiving. These can be found in the protocol template on our website, too, which I will mention further. 
Females should be educated about peak days and signs of fertility, including the six-day interval ending on the day of ovulation. That's characterized by slippery, stretchy cervical mucus and might be accompanied by other signs of ovulation that the patient has tracked or is tracking. Females with regular 25 to 35-day cycles should be advised that vaginal intercourse every one to two days beginning soon after the menstrual period ends can increase the likelihood of becoming pregnant. Methods or devices designed to determine or predict the time of ovulation, like over-the-counter ovulation kits, which use urine as a fertility indicator, digital applications, mobile apps, or even cycle beads should be discussed. Because most commercially available and commonly used vaginal or sexual lubricants have a significant negative impact on sperm motility, their use should be discouraged. Counseling for achieving a healthy pregnancy should include a discussion about the patient's immunization status so that she can take advantage of pre-pregnancy immunization for rubella, hepatitis B, HPV, COVID, and seasonal flu. A review of the patient's medication and education about those medications should be done, being especially alert to possible teratogens, like some antihypertensive medications, some acne medications, and some of the older meds used for bipolar disorder and other behavioral health diagnoses. Healthy nutrition and weight, as well as physical exercise, should be encouraged, and we would want to have a discussion about the negative effects of smoking, consuming alcohol, and using recreational drugs. And this is both for fertility reasons as well as healthy pregnancy. We should talk to the patient about taking a multivitamin with the recommended 400 micrograms of folic acid before and during pregnancy. We have really good data that this helps prevent defects of the brain and spinal cord. In addition, there's emerging data that folic acid may increase fertility. Women who take multivitamins with folic acid are more likely to ovulate, and studies have found that women trying to conceive had a little bit higher pregnancy rate when taking folic acid supplements. You can also recommend folic acid fortified cereals like Cheerios and Raisin Bran in addition. For diabetic females, it's important to address the importance of achieving glucose levels as close to normal as safely possible, ideally an A1C of less than 6.5%. This will reduce the risk of congenital anomalies, preeclampsia, macrosomia, preterm birth, and other complications. Catherine, I want to mention some resources here. The National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning just released a protocol template for basic infertility services, and it's available on our website, ctcfp.org. In addition, our partner training center, the Reproductive Health National Training Center, has resources that listeners may want to check out. There's an e-learning course on the RHNTC website now, rhntc.org called Support for Achieving a Healthy Pregnancy. In addition, the Reproductive Health National Training Center will be releasing a toolkit for basic infertility services in late summer, early fall. That will be available at rhntc.org. At this point in our imaginary appointment, let's say our patient needs a referral to an outside provider. What should that Title X clinician keep in mind when they're faced with that situation of the patient who needs further infertility evaluation or services. 
I touched on this briefly before, but I really want to stress that the most important thing is to have an explicit relationship with one or more community practices to whom you will refer your infertility clients. This includes labs, too. There may be special processes for collecting, storing, transporting, hormonal tests, or semen samples. Smooth referrals improve outcomes. You and the patient get more consistent workup plans, the ability for consultation during the workup, and you have mutually agreed upon referral thresholds, so you're not referring someone inappropriately. Most importantly, this really maintains the continuity of care for the client. So we've had a great conversation about providing that basic infertility service in Title X. But before you go, Jackie, what are your top takeaways for Title X clinicians about addressing infertility in their Title X practices today? I want to stress that most Title X sites already collect the recommended history and physical exam data recommended for a basic infertility workup. Also, they provide pre-pregnancy counseling on a regular basis. Again, stressing that a good relationship with a lab that you may be sending tests to is important so that you counsel the patient appropriately and the specimen is processed efficiently. And last, that formal relationships with community and fertility specialists is really crucial for offering equitable and accessible, high-quality family planning and family building services to the clients we serve. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jackie and for sharing your time and expertise. For more content, including previous podcast episodes, search for The Family Planning Files or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For a transcript of this podcast, visit our website at www.ctcfp.org. While you are there, you can sign up for other events and continuing education opportunities, including our annual conference, as well as our online newsletter, Clinical Connections. You can also follow the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning on Twitter at NCTCFP, all lowercase, and on LinkedIn. The National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning is funded by the Office of Population Affairs to provide continuing education, training, and technical assistance to Title X grantees, separate recipients, and service sites. This activity is supported by DHHS grant number 1-FPTPA-006031-01-00. Contents of this podcast solely represent the views of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official positions of the Department of Health and Human Services, or DHHS, Office of the Assistant Secretary of Health, or OASH, or the Office of Population Affairs, or OPA. No official support or endorsement by DHHS, OASH, or OPA for opinions or products described in this podcast is intended or should be inferred. Theme music written by Dan Jones and performed by Dan Jones and the Squids. Other production support provided by the Collaborative to Advance Health Services at the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Nursing and Health Studies. And finally, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of the Family Planning Files.